the original Night Stalker and the Golden State Killer. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Beyond the Realm, a paranormal true crime podcast. It's been like what, five months? It's been five months. It's fine. September, I think, is when we uploaded the first one. <laughs> We're good at consistency. It's almost February. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay though. Um, hopefully this makes up for it. Yeah, probably not. I'm one of your hosts, Hannah Kendry. I'm Bruce. <laughs> Bruce what? Just Bruce. Just Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> and we're here to be head asses and tell you about stuff you already know. Uh, hopefully not, though. <laughs> Everyone knows mine. What is yours, Hannah? Uh, mine is this week is the Golden State Killer slash Original Night Stalker slash Vasily Ransacker slash Isaria Rapist. He got a lot of names. He's like the original MC. Now, do you want to go through yours first or do you want me to go first? I went first last time. Okay. If you want to go first. Okay. No, that's fine. What are you doing? I am doing the 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident. Um, okay. This one is... Not as popular. I know that there's like, you know, Roswell, which I, I haven't done yet. Maybe if we ever make a season three, or I mean episode three. A season three. You have <laughs> to guess through the first one. Th- this this is every season. It's We're doing one episode a year. I hope you guys are ready for this. <laughs> See you guys in 2020. <laughs> uh, bye. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so um, obviously in 1952, this was all in July, so we're starting in July 19th. Um, an air traffic controller, his name would, uh, Edward Nugent, I think is how you probably pronounce it. It's like nougat. Yeah. I, I hope it's not. I <laughs> really don't. Wait, let me see. I can't see. <laughs> we really need to get you some glasses. <laughs> yeah, Nugent. Anyway, he spotted seven objects on his radar at, uh, 1140 at night. Um, it's, so, because the name of the airport is different, it is what is today Ronald Reagan, uh, Washington National Airport. What was it then? I I don't know. Like Damn. probably like DC Airport or some something like that. Um, so no known aircraft were supposed to be in the area, and the objects were not following any established flight paths. Um, pretty much, he called up his superior, Harry Barnes, and a senior. He was a senior air traffic controller at the airport. Did you just take a photo? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Doing it for the gram. We're good. Um, later, they would write after watching the objects on their radio or the radar again. Um, they knew that it was immediately a strange situation. Their movements were completely radical compared to those of ordinary aircraft, which, keep in mind, this is the 50s. Um, Cold War tech hasn't exactly boomed yet. So, not to get too, like, historical or anything, but this is just normal World War II kind of, you know, Korean War station aircraft, so it's not anything fancy now. Basically, they're just kind of shit. Yeah, they're For not... people who don't know what he's talking about, <laughs> including me. They're, they're not, like, we haven't landed on the moon yet. I mean, I know a lot of people don't believe that we landed on the moon anyway, but that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> conspiracy theories. Yeah, I'm not Make ready sure for to that. rate us five stars if you want a conspiracy theory episode that it will just be done by me because I love that shit. I, I okay, we're getting off. Topic. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Sidebar. I don't. I don't like a lot of conspiracy theories, which is strange. Um, man, we are really doing the whole my favorite murder thing where we're like we're twenty episodes in and haven't even finished it yet. Um, twenty episodes, twenty minutes in. You said episodes. Did I? Yeah. Oh, God, today we got the fucking receipts. Uh, yeah, I mean they haven't. I don't know. Um, 
Uh, so pretty much after checking the controls twice and finding that everything was working properly, Barnes called the National Airport's radar equipped uh, control tower, and all the controllers there said that they saw unidentified blips on their uh, radar screen. Wait, lips or blips? Blimps. Okay. Oh, I just can't hear either. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. <laughs> they said that they saw uh, a bright light hovering in the sky, um, and it zoomed away at incredible speeds. You want to give us the zoom sound effect, Hannah? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, other objects appeared in all sectors of the uh, radar scope. When they moved over to the White House in the United States Capitol, Barnes had to call um, Andrews Air Force Base, which is located around 10 miles away from them. They reported that they had no unusual objects on their radar, uh, but an airman soon called the base's control tower to report sightings of a strange object. Um, the airman's name was William Brady. He was in the tower. Then, so- Why are you laughing? Is it related to... Uh- Tom, Tom Brady. Brady. Yeah, I was going to say the goat. Um, he went to Michigan. Uh, okay, we're getting oh, off topic again. Shit. Yeah, we're getting off topic. <laughs> uh, he saw an object that appeared to be an orange ball of fire. Uh, he had a, It had what he wanted to say was a tail. It was unlike anything he had ever seen before. This he tried to. furry. <laughs> Jesus. He tried to alert the other personnel in the tower about a strange-looking object that took off at unbelievable speed. One of the, nation, uh, the national airport's runways... Uh, Pierman, he was a Capital Airlines pilot waiting in the cockpit of one of the DC-4s, which I'm assuming is an airplane of some kind, uh, for permission to take off and observed six objects. They were white, tailless, fast-moving lights. This all happened over a 14-minute period, and then the objects all vanished in three radar centers at the same time. Uh, this was a pretty big deal back then. This made front-page headlines in the newspapers all around the nation, I would assume so. Yeah, this was um, not, like, TMZ-worthy, but, like, this was enough to get, like, the president involved, which I'll touch on that in a second. Um, pretty much uh, a good week later, on July 26, uh, a pilot and a stewardess on a National Airlines flight into Washington observed more strange lights above their plane. Within a minute, both radar centers at National Airport and the radar at Andrews uh, Air Base were tracking more unknown objects. Uh, I think it's also important to touch upon that, like, we are closing in on the Cold Cold War, so people are scared shitless. <laughs> this is like... Put it lightly. Yeah, everyone was afraid that the Soviets were essentially watching them with satellites and stuff, so this was terrifying people, even if it wasn't aliens. Um, at 11.30 p.m., two of the Air Force uh, Starfire jet fighters from Newcastle Air Base and Delaware arrived over Washington. Um, their, their captain was John Hugh, uh, McHugo, who was the flight leader, and he saw the blimps but saw nothing, uh, despite repeated attempts of going over it. His wingman, however, uh, Lieutenant Ju- uh, William Patterson, did see four white glows and chased after them. He later said that he tried to make contact with the bogeys below 1,000 feet. He was at max speed and had to cease chasing them because there was no chance of overtaking them. Jesus. So even going at max speed and being an excellent pilot... And a fighter jet, they just couldn't even reach them. They weren't even close. Um, when asked by gl- uh, ground control, Patterson replied, I see them now and they're all around me. What should I do? Nobody answered because they didn't know what to tell them. <laughs> um, the sightings of the July 26th to 27th also made front page headlines. President Harry Truman had to call people in. Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss this was because it eventually led to Project Blue Book. And... For those who don't know, Project Blue Book would be what Washington would label as um, 
their primary source of investigating uh, not just extraterrestrials, but like uh, Soviets or anything that's unknown. They wanted to try to deduce it and see what it was. Um, and this they labeled as um, false images caused by temperature inversion, visual sightings. Um, they claimed meteors, stars, city lights. There was even some that thought it could have been a flock of birds. Many of the Air Force themselves criticized it, you know, rightfully so. How, you know, if you're a trained jet fighter, how would you be chasing after birds that are apparently going faster than you? Um, there was an extreme amount of UFO reports in the 50s that bugged them and the CIA. They thought that an enemy nation could deliberately like flood the UF, uh, the U.S. with UFO reports, causing mass panic, which I touched upon earlier with the whole Cold War. Um, they wanted to do that to cause a sneak attack. Uh, this led to the Robertson panel, and pretty much them and Project Blue Book needed to spend less time analyzing and studying UFO reports and more time publicly uh, debunking them. That's what the president wanted, and that's what everyone thought was best for national security. So a lot of the times whenever I reference Project Blue Book again, it's going to be, hey, they tried to lie the people publicly to make everyone feel better. Yikes. Yeah, but in, That's a yikes. But in reality, uh, a lot of these were people... I name-dropped a lot of people intentionally because I would rather trust a, a, um, a captain of a jet fighter squadron than, you know, some guy in a suit who's intentionally lying... Um, for security theater. And I pretty much wanted to also go through, um, for future references, this is only episode two, we could do some kind of reoccurring segment where I pretty much give a random example on something to do with ufology. So today's is going to be Project Blue Book, which um, was founded in 1952 because of this. And even though it was terminated in 1969... Uh, a lot of it, yeah, <laughs> a lot of it was specifically to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze all UFO uh, data or data. Um, pretty much what happened is that the Air Force was like, hey, this is kind of a waste of time. A lot of the government officials thought it was useless and pointless. Um, by the time it ended, it had over 12,000 different UFO reports. Jesus. Most of them were concluded that it was just, like, misidentifications of, like, natural, like, the weather, the clouds, the stars, the sky, um, people being drunk or stupid, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, basic things, because there was kind of a boom of UFOs back then. You don't really hear so much of them nowadays. And so, you can read a lot of it, and I'll be mentioning stuff like that a lot because of the Freedom of Information Act. Most of it is, like, redacted if it has, like, a name or, like, a personal witness account. But um, a lot of it is there, and I did want to mention that MUFON, or the Mutual UFO Network, is a nonprofit organization that will investigate cases of alleged UFO sightings. Um, it's one of the oldest and largest civilian uh, like investigation organizations in the United States. It has a really nice website. You can see photos and videos that people upload, and if you ever see a UFO or anything like that, you can publish it on there. Have you ever used MUFON? Um, I did once when I saw my own personal UFO, uh, and there was like 12 people that also saw it around me, which is really cool. Um, I did, I did take a photo, but it was a horrible photo. That was way back, like, 
when like four megapixels was like <laughs> a big deal. So the photo wasn't very good, um, even at that time. And then I did want to touch upon uh, one more thing. This is a really quick one. Less of a story, more of a what happened recently. But in 2015, I just saw a video of the East Coast Go Fast video, which is where a, a Super Hornet, which is like one of our um, Navy jet fighters. Bruce, was it Sonic the Hedgehog? It was, it was not Sonic. It, <laughs> it all comes into the Sonic movie. I, this is just one big ad. <laughs> we don't have MeUndies. We have Sega. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so this was using a like infrared, like advanced target forward locking system. And it still was able to catch a fast-moving white oval about 40 to 45 feet. Um, it was about 40 to 45 feet long, and it did not have any wings or an exhaust plume. And so the pilots tracked it at about 25,000 feet above the Atlantic Ocean, and it flew away and also rotated on its axis. And the New York Times reported that um, the Department of Defense spent like $22 million between... 2007 and 2012 to investigate UFOs and that there was a bunch of declassified videos that showed pilots um, talking about like how come it had no means of propulsion they're all super excited there's a lot of bizarre videos that happened um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't altered there was kind of a thing with the New York Times of was it altered was it not mostly because no one believed in UFOs at all there is a cool video that I will be tweeting so you can just check out my Twitter at local alien party uh, yeah, I was gonna say I'm plug, on. Plug, plug. I am on brand with all my plugins. So that's pretty much all of what I have to say. Um, I do want to talk about probably not aliens next week, but my topic for like. Don't spoil it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So the one that I'm doing is the Golden State Killer, and I'm gonna be honest. I cheated on this. <laughs> Explain. So. Uh, last semester, I had a speech class, and my final speech was on the Golden State Killer. So mm. I am reading my speech, but way more casually. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So, everyone fucking knows this case. If you're into true crime, you know this case. It is just so crazy. I love it so much. This was relevant recently, too, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that later. So, I'm, I started this with a quote by Michelle McNamara, who is fucking amazing. She passed away recently-ish, within the last few years, so bless her soul. Um, but she literally wrote almost an entire book about this. It's called uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And sadly, she passed away before it was... Finished, so they got it finished and published. It was and her husband, right? Yeah, it was her husband, Patton Oswalt, who is a sweet baby angel, as Karen and George say. So, basically, he's, she said, he loses his power when we know his face. So, the Golden State Killer terrorized California for 14 years, from 1974 to 1986. He was originally dubbed the Visalia Ransacker, Ransacker active primarily in the city of Visalia, California, from April 1974 to December 1975. So, uh, the Fresno Bee did an article and said that the burglar did bizarre things, such as rummage through underwear drawers, lay out women's underwear on a bed, move family photos or tear them up, steal a single earring but ignore other jewelry, 
take a blue chip trading stamp, but leave cash untouched and steal piggy banks. So this guy was really fucking weird. It's, yeah, it's really gross. It's like, even from this alone, not knowing any of the other stuff, it's obvious that he's some some sort of like sexual sadist. Because he's just like, he just does the weirdest fucking things. Oh yeah, a lot of it was with the women's underwear, which yeah. is really weird. Um, no, this, he's fucking insane. So, during this time, he was mostly harmless, uh, until the murder of Claude Snelling on September 11th, 1975. So, he broke into the Snelling household around 2.15 in the morning, shooting Claude twice and kicking his daughter in the face before running away. So, this murder shot the Visalia ransacker into the media spotlight and began the media spree of the Golden State Killer. So, what I personally think that happened is, like, you know, he was used to them not being awake at 2 right. in the morning. Yeah. And they were, and he freaked out. I mean, people didn't, like, lock their doors during that time yeah, as well. Right. So. <laughs> like, this safety just didn't. This di- just didn't exist, I guess. So, the next kind of... I like to break it up into three sections. So, of the Golden State Killers, so there is Visalia Ransacker. Then East Area Rapist. Then Golden State Killer. So mm-hmm. the second stage is the East Area Rapist. So uh, the Gettysburg Times did a editorial on the East Area Rapist and said, Since October 1975, at least 23 women have been attacked by a young white male known as the East Area Rapist because he struck repeatedly in the same middle and upper middle income neighborhoods of modern spacious homes within the east of the state capital. So his primary targets were women who were alone or with kids. So That's not good. He did rape people that had husbands. So what he would do, this is so fucked up. So if you are sensitive to this kind of stuff, do not listen. He would break into homes. Um, and then he would sometimes just stand there. Like by the bed? Yep, until they woke up. Sometimes he wouldn't. So, once they woke up, if there was a man in the bed, they would, he would tie him to the bed and put a stack of plates on his back. And he told the, he would tell the man, if I hear these move, I will kill you and your entire family. Takes the woman out. And rapes her, and then brings them back, unties everything, and leaves. That's, oh, God. And he would often make it so he, like, they weren't sure if he was still in the house, because he would walk really quietly. Like, insanely quiet. So they would literally lay there for hours after he left, because they didn't know if he was still in the house or not. Yeah, that's horrible. So it's really fucked up. They would, uh, they would, like, God, I just, it's such a bummer. It's such a fucking bummer. Like, he would literally talk in a high-pitched voice as he was raping the women. Ugh. And he would also say, they thought that he would just randomly yell, fuck you, mommy. Oh, my God. He ended up saying something else, but I don't remember what. So, like, this guy is fucked up. Yeah, like, massive, massive problems. Yeah. So, Um, yeah. If you didn't take that trigger warning, 
I am uh, so sorry. Yeah, yeah. You you know that we're not playing um, around. Does it get does it get worse from here? I feel like not really. Okay. Ish. There's a good ending at least. Yeah. So relatively. <laughs> after he was done, he would leave completely silent, leaving the victims unsure where he was gone. He would take personal items from the victims, usually of stuff of little value, just to fuck with them. So not underwear. Not underwear, but like if it was a picture of a loved one, he would just take it. Oh, okay, so he moved up from creepy to <laughs> just extra creepy. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, just, uh... So his rape spree lasted until May of 1977 with over 51 documented victims. So those are documented. Yep. So he probably did more. And I know what a lot of people are thinking, like, how the fuck did they not catch this guy? Right. So, like, people kind of speculated that he worked in, like, the construction field because he would know ways in and out of stuff. And he, like, he literally would just come in completely silent. Plus it's the 70s. Plus it's the 70s. So, the last and final stage of the Golden State Killer is the original Night Stalker, or the Golden State Killer. Not to be confused with Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. Two separate people. Um, so, I'm not going to go super in-depth, because there's a ton of them, um, of the murders. So... His, basically, his crimes began to escalate, going from rape and burglary to murder. So, there's 13 documented victims of, that got murdered. So, here's the list. This is a bummer, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, so his victims were Janelle Cruz, age 18, Sherry Domingo, age 35, Keith and Patrice Harrington, 24 and 27, Katie and Brian McGuire, 20 and 21. Deborah Manning, 35. Robert Offerman, 44. Gregory Sanchez, 27. Lyman and Charlene Smith, 43 and 33. And Manuela Witten, 28. So that's a lot of fucking people. Yeah, they they get away with. Yeah. Again... People still are like, how did they not catch this guy? But it's the 70s and 80s. Probably didn't have an Alexa um, and a ring doorbell to check. <laughs> right. Um, so after the crimes, ranging from murders to break-ins, he would continue to torture the families. Oh, God. So he would send them Christmas cards. Oh, God. And he would even call them, one of them. Literally got a phone call, and it was one of the murder victims' families, and he was like, Merry Christmas, I killed your daughter, essentially. And he would, even the people that he would break in, he would just do shitty stuff just to show them, like, hey, you are still not safe, I have control over you. That's, like, a whole other level of just, like, horror. Yeah, it's, he's, uh, insane. Um, so for over 40 years, the mystery behind... The Golden State Killer came unsolved. Remained unsolved. The physical profile that was compiled was that he was a white male, around 5'10", with a slender and athletic build. So, then the psychological profile, he would be described as intelligent. This was evident in his ability to plan and carry out the crimes in advance. He was prepared for the crimes when he arrived at the victim's residences. He brought a weapon for control purposes 
octopuses, as well as bindings, a cutting instrument, and in one instance, a screwdriver. He had the ability to plan and organize thoughts in advance. He had also had the intelligence and ability to adapt his method of operation. So, they got, like, the uh, departments had a few leads, but this was kind of back before police departments knew how to work together. Right. So, they were like, no, this is in my jurisdiction, so I'm not telling you shit. Right, Plus, yeah. Plus, he, like, this is before advanced DNA testing. This is before hair and, like, fiber evidence, which isn't really viable in court anymore, but still... Like, this mm-hmm. is before a ton of the stuff that we use now. Yeah, a lot of things that we take for granted, essentially. Right. So, forensics was just very minimal, because there wasn't much. So, eventually, the case ran cold, so they ran out of leads. Due, but due to the incredible advancements in forensics, the case was finally solved in April of 2018. This is a good ending. It's a good ending! Um, so... Joseph James D'Angelo was arrested in connection to the crimes, and he was a retired police officer, which is so bad, because he, I think he worked in Sacramento, where the murders were happening, and so the Sacramento County Sheriff Todd Jones says that it is very possible he was committing the crimes while he was a police officer. Right, while he was still inactive. have you seen a picture of him? I have not. I'm sure I probably did when it was on Twitter, but I I don't remember. Are you you ready? Yeah. Oh, he's old. He's disgusting. He's like 70. Oh, God. So here's a little story. So they had a town hall meeting, I think, in Sacramento Mm -hmm. um, where they were basically talking about what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And this guy stood up and he was kind of being a dick. But he was, like, basically he said, like, man up because no man would allow someone to come into his home and rape his wife. And a week later, his wife got raped. Wow. So it's obvious that D'Angelo was there. And there's actually another picture. Yeah, he didn't. So it seemed like he didn't travel far. And he, I wonder what he did under the guise of his own uniform and whatnot. Right. Um, you know, how many, how many people yeah. he didn't leave alive? See? Wow. So. If you're an audio listener, <laughs> which uh, is these, everyone. <laughs> these pictures will be posted somewhere on Twitter or something. Yeah. What's your uh, Instagram, Hannah? I mean, uh. My Twitter? Twitter? Uh, handplaysow, Overwatch, yay. But yeah, um. Another thing, another reason why he didn't get caught right away is because he had access to a police scanner. Yeah. I, oh, so God. it's just insane. That's scary. The thing about like <laughs> all the things that you would think would be used to prevent it. He, he knew and he was yeah. able to counter it, which is the scariest part mm-hmm. about him. So I actually did a uh, interview with my forensics professor about this. So... How did they catch the Golden State Killer? So basically, my professor said, in the Golden State Killer case, DNA was the crucial piece of evidence to solve it. The DNA evidence was recovered from an un, uh, undisclosed, a piece of undisclosed evidence at the crime scenes, 
which eventually led to the development of a DNA profile. So basically, they you they had services now to replicate DNA, mm-hmm. so they can make a larger strand. It's super fucking cool. Like in like real DNA, not like a yeah. a random. It's I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, but um. So, the DNA profile was placed in a genealogy website, leading to the identification of the Golden State Killer through family heritage research. So, it's like 23andMe, but it's a little shadier. Damn. Um, so, he got caught by Ancestry.com. Essentially, essentially. yeah. So, <laughs> his, out like, here. second cousin wow. was in there, and so then they connected it. Um, So, the DNA profile also linked... To the Golden State Killer to another crime series, which they thought to be unrelated, which I think was the Visalia Ransacker or something like that. So he said, in my opinion, these crimes would not have been solved without the DNA evidence because the other available information accessible for decades was unable to identify a suspect. So basically, it's just fucking insane. Like, it's so, 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 so cool. And... I can't talk about it because I wasn't there, obviously, but the girls at My Favorite Murder did an interview with one of the lead detectives on that case. Mm-hmm. King Paul Holes. Right. So, literally, if you want more information, like literal insider information, go check that out. Yeah, that's a big deal. there isn't a ton of stuff. This doesn't happen a lot either, I feel. It's so rare that it actually works out. Because this is a cold case from 40 years ago. Right. And it got solved. Yeah, that's ancient by, like, um, any kind of, you know, so cold case time. I remember it was the, like, tech week, almost opening night of a musical that I was in. And I was sitting <laughs> in the dressing room in full costume watching the press conference. Oh, yeah. No, that's, like, um, a, uh, that's a big Murnerino type of thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so after four decades of unrest in it, Unrest and anxiety, the mystery has finally been solved. Joseph James D'Angelo was charged on 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. Catching... Strange that it was only 13. That, that's all they had to do for. You gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, he's like 70 anyway, yeah. so it's not like he's And be... I don't... There hasn't been a trial. Really? It's, it takes a while. Bureaucracy's yeah. a bitch. <laughs> Especially, I would imagine, in like California, where yeah. there's so many people as well. Yeah. So, catching the Golden State Killer not only brought a blanket of hope to the families of the victims, but started a new era of forensic investigation. This impressive feat of law enforcement is one that they will never forget. Quoting the Sacramento District Attorney's Office, we found the needle in the haystack. Damn. Yeah, I was going to say, that's (laughs) not impossible, but that is extremely difficult. Yeah. It's insane. I'm glad that had a happy ending. Yeah. (laughs) It's a... It's, it's closure at the very least, which is not something that you can say about like the majority of cold cases. Yeah, like the Zodiac Killer and all that. Shit. Oh yeah, it's not like the Zodiac Killer, and it's also not like how any of my cases will probably be, <laughs> where, where all of them are like, well, it's up to you to decide. <laughs> Do you believe in this? So yeah, that was mine. It's one of my favorite cases. I remember learning about it when I was far too young to learn about it. Um, but I was still super fucking interested in it, and it's what led me to this obsession. And that's what you're doing for school now, right? Yeah, I'm taking some fun little criminal justice classes. Yes, they don't <laughs> teach uh, ufology in college, unfortunately. 
Jesus. Which <laughs> otherwise I'd be doing that, but um, that is extremely fascinating. I had no clue any of the dirty details about mm-hmm. that, so I learned something today at the very least. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I think that's all we have for today. We know it was a shorter episode. But we're just trying to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, this was intentional. We have a couple episodes that are going to be much longer. Uh, hopefully around just an hour. I don't want to go around over an hour. We are making a 15-hour episode. <laughs> it's going to be all day. <laughs> you, it's, a, it's a sleep with me styled podcast. That's only an hour. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at... Uh, Beyond Realm Pod. We will be posting the video that I referenced earlier and also the photographs that Hannah was talking about that obviously you guys couldn't see. Because <laughs> this is a podcast with audio. And if you have any, like, hometown stuff, personal stories, questions, comments, concerns, um, our email is beyondtherealm at protonmail.com. Um, alternatively, if you happen to follow me or Hannah... On Twitter, Instagram, mine is local alien party, and mine is at handplaceow. And feel free to DM either of us or leave a reply. Uh, they're not called comments, so <laughs> just let us know. Yeah, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe because that is the best way to support us on the podcast app of your choosing. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not stopping recording this. We have stopped like 500 times. It's taken us like three hours to record this. Alrighty. Well, thank you guys for watching. And yeah. Bye. Bye.